Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we are covering, once again, the news with our new format. And then we will be doing a pop culture quest. And I was going to play coy with it, but we previewed it last time. So uh, we're, we're going to be talking about all the president's men. So hang around through the news and we'll get to our feature presentation discussion i don't know we're still we're still working on the new format well jamie much like the movie all the president's men took a lot of time in the newsroom (laughs) i'm going to mosey over to our newsroom and pick up whatever is coming off the car okay well i thought it was going to be a slow week with all this news coming out, but I think we've got a lot of news happening, so let's tear yeah, into right. it. Right, I think man. I need to lead off here. Yeah, you you need you need to go. For I it. need to lead off here because this is yes. my yes. Yeah, this, this is, is your jam. This, this is your is, baby. This is Star Wars Day, twenty twenty one. May the fourth be with you, and don't forget the day after we have the revenge of the fifth. <laughs> but on May fourth this year. Star Wars Day, Disney Plus is premiering the animated spinoff of The Clone Wars, The Bad Batch. These guys were a big hit during the uh, final season uh, escapade that that happened there. If any of you guys got to see it, the first few uh, episodes there was The Bad Batch in action, rescuing Echo from a droid-controlled control center. Guys, thoughts? I have a question. Um, okay. I'm not. Uh, remember, if you remember the, um, the the year preview, I, I said that my big goal was to watch all of the Clone Wars um, in 2021. Um, I'm once again being bad at TV. <laughs> and then they made more. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm still plugging along. Um, those early seasons were a little rough. Yeah, um, the early. Can can I watch this without being caught up? I haven't gotten to the part of the show where the Bad Batch actually show up. Can I still watch this and enjoy it? Or do I need yeah, to wait? No, you can watch it. Uh, it has repercussions for the uh, the final season, but I think you already know that Ahsoka was you know taken out of the order, Yeah, if not spoiled um, there. But uh, it has repercussions there. It has repercussions uh, for um, Clone Trooper Echo, who we think is killed at one point he he shows back up but uh this ties right into and actually a bunch of the later episodes happen concurrently with episode three uh revenge of the sith so it leads right into the movie and especially the last four play almost like a movie am i wrong sam yes yeah that that, those last kind of kind of play out in that, you know, kind of a one consistent story. And so it kind of kind of plays out real nicely there, I think. Well, that, well, that leads to my second question. Um, so, like, Mandalorian. You kind of didn't need to have watched a lot of Star Wars. I mean, I've met people who don't watch Star Wars that watch The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's even a chance that Bad Batch has that kind of, you know, experience? Are, are there going to be people who just watch The Bad Batch? Because it's, it's the new thing on Disney Plus on Fridays. Or, or is it just people who have seen The Clone Wars? I think you're going to be able to take this. I think what the Bad Batch is, it's it's it was the first of the clones that they made that were kind of crazy, a little bit defective. 
and they were toying with them with like strength and, and intelligence mm-hmm. and, and different things. So they each one you have you have a, a, a strong man. You have like this insane hunter who's almost like a like a you know Rambo character. And he you looks have, like Stallone. And he looks like Stallone. <laughs> he does. Head been in everything. And then you have <laughs> yeah. this guy who's like a marksman, who's this this insane sniper. You have this tech guy. I mean, it's really like an A team. It's going to be an A-team kind of a fit. And it seems to me, the story that I've heard rumored, that they're kind of protecting an, a child uh, to be transported somewhere. Um, now, it's not the child. I, I can't. I can verify that. I can verify that it's not It's It not better stinky. not be stinky. It's not stinky, and it's, it's not gotta be stinky. <laughs> But it's kind of like this this human child. So there's been debate: are they rescuing this kid from the Jedi, you know, from the Jedi Temple uh, during the purge? Are they is something else going on? But it seems like it's going to be kind of an A team kind of situation where they're trying to do some good uh, off the clock. Uh, you know, maybe not on the level with the government. Well, I was just wondering about like who's the. I mean, I was kind of wondering like who's the audience for this. Yeah, I, th- I it, think if you like the A-Team, if you like, you know, Star Wars Space Adventure, I think you're going to be a fan of this. Yeah, yeah I, I don't see this being, you know, highly connected to every little thing, like nuance-wise. It's probably going to be its own little corner. You know, yeah, at I'm, least I'm sure you're going to have a lot of nods in the background like you did with yeah. the Mandalorian, but, I'm sh- but it really feels like that Disney are taking these shows, much like they're with the Marvel shows, and making them their own thing. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yes. Okay, I, I I have concerns, but I hope you're right. <laughs> I'm afraid it's not. I'm afraid it's not going to have an audience. That's what I. That's what I'm concerned about. You're right. Um, but moving on to things that definitely do have an audience, it's time for our spandex news section, which is thankfully mostly MCU, <laughs> um, and the MCU has all the audience. It has so much audience. Um, and Sammy, you've got the first news item here. <laughs> Okay, the first thing we, I put on here is, you know, we, we've heard these reports about Tom Holland shooting off at the mouth and Kevin Feige essentially wanting to, like, censure this kid uh, up one side and down the other, right? Well, he's not the only one that's having issues. Uh, in the middle of a radio program interview uh, in Australia, uh, Russell Crowe just drops, oh, yeah, I'm Zeus in Thor four, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But I think that's kind of cool that they're going to be bringing that pantheon in. Um, And I can see Russell Crowe as, as Zeus. Is there going to be a Hercules though? See, that's what I hope I want to see, because think about it. Eventually, you know, Hemsworth's going to get probably tired of playing Thor. So take out Thor, insert Hercules. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if, if, I get the feeling with Russell Crowe though, he doesn't even know what he's in. I mean, much like one of the songs <laughs> in in the uh, in the Mandalorian, he's like, I've never even seen Star Wars. And I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, he's giving this character, but Russell Crowe, he's probably he probably has no idea how important that spoiler was to the story. <laughs> but you know, he said it in Australia. I think yes, I think just yes. all the laws are different. Like the the laws of nature of reality, <laughs> they're just different in Australia. I don't think he, he's not in Tom Holland trouble because he said it in Australia. Right, right. It, it it's a you know time zone differences, you know all that kind of comes into play, right? Yeah. What well, happens uh, down under stays down under. 
Uh, so our next item is Captain America Four. Um, I've got I've got questions about this, Sammy. I think you put this on here as well. What What was mm-hmm. your your well, thinking? I was wondering. You know, I feel like the MCU got a little sneaky with the Falcon and Winter Soldier finale. You know, at the end of the credits, the title comes back up and it changes. It's not mm-hmm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier anymore. It's Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And within 24 hours, boom, Anthony Mackie will be Captain America in Captain America 4. Is it a sneaky title drop for us? Or do you think they'll get more creative and go some different way? I don't know, but that was the best role of a new movie, a new character that I've ever seen. See, I, I've got questions about that because um, as soon as the show was over, like I saw things on like Facebook on the internet, like that there's going to be a second season, and the second season is going to be retitled as Captain America in the Winter mm-hmm. Soldier. And then, like twelve hours later, it's like, no, we're making Captain America four. It's like, okay, which is it? Both? Did you did this go over really well? So now you've decided to fill one of those open slots with Captain America four. So I'm just, I, I'm curious about what the plan actually was and actually is. Yeah, I think that's been questions we've had through the whole production of this show. Uh, You know, we've talked about how we felt that it almost needed another episode or two just to flesh out a few story points. Um, I don't know. Maybe we're just going to kind of go straight into the film, you know, side of this. So, Well, then like White Russell's like, you know, I'm probably not coming back as the as U.S. agent. I'm like. Did you not see the post-credit scene you were in? I'm like, right. what is right. the plan? Right. Yeah. It, yeah, that would be a huge ball to drop, you know, if, if they do. Uh, you know, as much as his character was disdained and, and, and ridiculed and things, I mean, he played it well. Mm-hmm. He played. You cannot deny that his skill and portrayal of that character was not U.S. agent. But that, you know, the, the Captain America uh, being the Falcon really excites me for the prospect of the MCU because what, you know, the shield was passed from person to person. The, the Iron Man armor went around the, the horn a little bit, you know, you have all these mantles being, being passed along. And I think that you're that them taking these younger characters and, and growing them in the mythology along what, you know, the comic books had, it's sort of being true to that is, is really important. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then you've got Natalie Portman picking up the hammer, you know, in Thor. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of this changing of the guard. You know, yeah, Ironheart's going to be a show soon. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing Armor Wars might possibly roll into that. And I keep so. hearing rumors about the kid from Iron Man 3. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. At the at the funeral scene, you've got our three television members right there together, and who's right behind them? The kid from Iron Man. <laughs> so. And they didn't have to have him in that scene. Nope. But it was kind of telling that he was. Anyway, um, speaking of tantalizing things, um, so WandaVision trolled us a lot, and it made some people very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Ralph, especially. Um, but so we're we're hearing lots of similar rumors about Spider-Man No Road Home. 
And Sammy, I think I think you put this on here. I think you worded this very well. How much are we being trolled? Is this mm-hmm. is this more Wandavision nonsense? One hundred fifteen percent. Yep. I mean, think <laughs> think about it. The latest news is Alfred Molina is coming back as Doc Ock, and they're going to use de aging software. <laughs> and it's like they're going to pick him up at the end of Spider Man Two. <laughs> you know. If one division taught us nothing, they're going to troll us every time they get a chance now. You know, and it's in a sad part. And I don't know how you guys feel about this. I almost feel like the cool kids have got the keys to the kingdom and now they're trolling the nerds again <laughs> but with, our, with our own stuff. Okay. I'm, I'm too old to be pushed into a locker again. <laughs> I'm not coming back out. No. <laughs> I'm not getting back out of that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about the thing we've heard, like I've heard like, you know, Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield, uh, Alfred Molina, Charlie Cox. Jamie I mean, Fox. Jamie Fox. Yeah. That movie, if, if they had a storyline for every character that I've heard named, it's going to be like a five hour, you know, epic. You know, and think about it. This movie comes out at Christmas. It's not that far away. And we just have these ragtag pieces of information. You know, are we going to get the big gift this holiday season, or are we going to get Ralph Boner in our stocking? I mean, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, there's so much misinformation. I feel like they're 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 giving there. Just like you know, you said the the, the cool kids. You know, well, we couldn't play sports ball now. We can't even play with our comic books. You know, so what what are we doing here? Maybe this is a complicated way to keep Tom Holland in the dark. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> They're just filming everything and not telling him what they're putting in the movie. <laughs> Maybe they're like, hey, there's scenes you're not in that Andrew Garfield is in. You know, you didn't get to meet him. He's totally in this movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh, but I love the way that they're playing with the uh, with the multiverse and the universe in this. Uh, if if it is, you know, the story, uh, how they how they would bring it in. And I, I'll tell you, I loved Tobey Maguire's portrayal of Spider Man. Wasn't a big Garfield fan, but you know, it, I'd love to. I'd love to see those three interacting, the different things that they bring to the character. I liked Garfield as Spider Man. I didn't love him looking thirty five as Peter Parker. In <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, guys, with Spider Man, it's a multiverse, but DC's also spinning their own version of a multiverse, right? So. Once again, as we mentioned in our last episode about Black Adam, that we heard, 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 and then we got a release date. Um, poor Ezra Miller's Flash movie has been zipping back and forth. But we got a confirmation on a little tease we've been hearing for months. Keaton's back, guys. After 29 years out of the bat suit, or possibly out of the bat suit. Keaton's back. What do we think about this? I think I'll believe that movie's real when I'm sitting in a theater seat <laughs> with a big bucket of popcorn in my lap. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been happening. It's been happening so much with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just don't know how to feel about it. I mean, I, I would be really. I would be. I, that would be fun if Keaton was back in the bat suit, got to say I'm Batman one more time with the spandex on. That would be really fun. I could, and they could do some fun stuff with older Batman. I just, I'm to the point now, like I don't believe it's happening. <laughs> Right. I just, I really am going to have to be in the theater with the popcorn before I believe it. 
Here's my question, though. Are we going to get like a Batman Beyond version of Bruce Wayne? Or is this going to be their way to do a Thomas Wayne Batman from Flashpoint? Both of those could be fun. Yeah, I think both versions could be an interesting way to take Keaton. Because we all expect him to be, you know, a Batman. But what if he's like the whacked out Thomas Wayne version of Batman? You know, that'd be an interesting play. And we know he can play crazy. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to get nuts, he's up for it. There you go. Let's get nuts. (laughs) Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where sammy aka comic book kid takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast one thin dime focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice one thin dime all right uh, enough with beating up on flash um our, our next segment i'm not sure what we're going for here is the streaming news and uh the first one is something i just want to give a handful of people out there a little bit of hope so percy jackson is getting a disney plus show which i'm assuming will be on friday night that's where all the shows go um but the production hasn't started yet, but there are some drips and drabs coming out about it. And I know there are lots of people that read these when they were 13 that have this incredible fondness for this series. I read it as an old man, and I still kind of like it. Um, they have begun casting, which is kind of promising. They're looking, they're looking for their Percy Jackson and their, oh, I wanted to call him Tumnus. Who's the, guy, who's the fawn guy from this, from this world? I don't remember his name. Um, and uh, I think Annabeth is the girl. I don't remember. I read those books a long time ago. Um, but the, 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 the kickback they got when they made those movies is they shut Rick Riordan out, the, the author, and they deviated a great deal from the storyline of the books. And it made a lot of fans angry, and that's why I think they made like two of them. And they were going to make five. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the people that actually liked those books didn't like the movies because they were so different. Well, the news that I... This is the only thing I really wanted to mention on here. And so for the people who, are, who do have a fondness or some nostalgia for this series... Rick Riordan is apparently very, very involved with the mm. TV show. And they're going to be staying much more closely in line with the storyline from the books. And so if you do have a fondness for Percy Jackson, you will be getting the Percy Jackson story you wanted in those movies, you know, a decade ago. Nice. And, you know, I think Percy Jackson came out during sometimes what you can think of of kind of that YA supernatural fiction wars that was happening. Everybody Mm -hmm. was had their own little series. Everybody's trying to be the next Harry Potter, you know, and you had a lot of those books get kind of coming out. And, you know, Percy Jackson, I think, stuck out. And even though the movies were not um, as great as I think some people wanted. I do think it'll be interesting to spin it to television and it may fit better with television. Yeah. And I mean, there was that big Y boom right then, but why is still big. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, this show has a chance to, to gain an audience. Um, our next item in the streaming news is a strange, a little bit of a strange story. And so it's uh, the tomorrow war released a trailer on uh, Amazon Prime, I think this week, last week, I'm not sure exactly when, but it's it's there now. I think we've all seen it now, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this yeah. is Star-Lord without the raccoon, right? 
Yes, I don't think there's a raccoon, but you know, I think Rocket makes everything better. So if they wanted to get him in, it'd be okay. And he's not wrangling dinosaurs. So <laughs> no dinosaurs, no raccoon, no tree. But there are what's, aliens. What's Chris Pratt to do? No. <laughs> but this is Chris Pratt's baby. Like he he personally bought the rights to the to the story to this. Like he he's the one that did this, and he's the executive producer on it. This, this is his sort of pet project, and it. Apparently, I didn't see the number, but apparently has a gigantic budget. This was supposed to be a summer blockbuster, and then COVID happened. And so it was sold to Amazon Prime. And on July 2nd, it will be coming onto all of our TVs, laptops, tablets, phones. Please don't watch this on the phone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a big action movie. Don't watch it on your phone. But it will be here shortly. Yeah, I think it's very interesting how all of these passion projects uh, were able to happen, you know, during during the lockdown when a lot of productions were halted and or even canceled. Uh, you know, some some a lot of, of your actors, you know, also double as producers and even directors at times, <clears throat> they were able to pitch things and to make things on their own. That were there were kind of passion projects to them, and I'm always curious to see what people are into. So this is something I'm curious about. Yeah, Dwayne, and a bunch of them did podcasts. So. Well, this is this is true too. <laughs> I guess that's why that's, there's been a lot of competition happening lately. Yeah. Speaking of which, apparently we crossed the two million mark of podcasts. Uh, wow. Two million. Wow. Two million. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is going to be on Amazon Prime July 2nd. And I think this is a little bit of a New Mutants type story. I think this was done, like it was completely done and edited before COVID started. And so this has been sitting on the shelf for a little bit, not, not New Mutants long, but it's been sitting on the shelf for a while. But it will Ooh. be streaming shortly. Interesting. Um, and next is another thing that I complete, despite the fact I have an entire podcast devoted to the work of Jeff Lemire, this one slipped by me. Um, Sweet Tooth. Um, the work Jeff Lemire is probably most famous for. Um, I heard probably two years ago. This had been optioned, and they were working on it, and then it just disappeared. Um, but it will be releasing June the 4th on Netflix, and they just put out a teaser trailer, and man, is it, it's a tease. It's like It looks what? amazing. It, it does look cool, but it's only like 30 seconds long. You learn nothing from it, which are great trailers. I like when I don't learn anything. I, I want to see enough trailer to make me interested, and that's it. I don't need the plot. Well, Jamie, I'm going to kick back on you a little bit there. You know the story. You've read the book. You know who Jeff Lemire is. Now, I will tell you, I've recently started listening to your podcast about this. Uh, you're, you're in Edna's um, about uh, Zafram, uh, Sweet Tooth. I have no idea what's going on. So when I see, you know, this Fire. this 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 young boy with antlers and and deer ears, and they're talking about the hybrids, and they're talking about the virus, and they're talking about the different things. I'm learning a lot and getting very very curious. <laughs> that that that's fair. I'm coming at it from a different angle. Yeah, you I, I guess a little more plot I do find interesting with this though. Sweet Tooth was a DC Vertigo property, correct? And isn't it Netflix that's also trying to get Vertigo Sandman? And do a live action Sandman also? Maybe DC's trying to, you know, get Netflix kind of on board also with some of this Vertigo stuff. Well, I, I had a related question. If this is a DC property, it's not even Vertigo now. It's just a DC property. Right. Um, why is this on Netflix and not on HBO Max with the rest of the DC stuff? Hmm. Very true. 
there. Is, is Vertigo tied to the Warner deal? How, do, how does that work? Is Vertigo, is that creator-owned? No. No. Okay. No, it was just more of basically what they did in the 80s when they brought over Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore and a lot of the British Invasion type of stuff. They kind of gave them this Vertigo imprint, and it was like Hellblazer and Swamp Thing, um, and it was the more mature titles. So they gave them a little bit of freedom to play around with with the the, the hero genre, and it was you know it could be a little darker. Lucifer started out in the Vertigo series, mm. um, those types of things. Um, so I don't know, you know, because see now DC has their black label now. Instead of Vertigo, it's under Black Label. And just recently, when they relaunched their app, you know, as far as the DC uh, comic book app, and got rid of all the TV stuff that went to HBO Max, they brought in Vertigo. And it was the first time they had any Vertigo titles that you could download and read on their app. So, I bet there's a story as to why that's on Netflix and not HBO Max. Um, Very interesting. That may be part of a tease for next week, right? (laughs) very interesting (laughs) well guys as we've wrapped up our headline news um, with the DC there I think there's some things that we need to hit real quick before we get into our pop culture quest let's hit the rewind button see if we can knock these out All right, so we're going to be leading off Roundtable Rewind. We left it with DC. We're kind of coming back just really quick. Since 1939, Superman has been a title with DC, and our Clark Kent, Kal-El, has been our Superman. Um, There's a new Superman in town, and that is Jonathan Kent. And starting in July, Superman, the title, is going to be put on, uh, you know, hiatus, canceled possibly. And the new title, Superman, Son of Kal-El. Um, so you're looking at a tentpole series that's getting the shaft for a new character. So a newer character, I should say. That is such weird news. I'm hearing a trumpet playing John Williams mu- music in the background. <laughs> Very softly and sadly. But yeah, that is so strange that you're taking the Superman, Ubermensch, you know, down to... Uh, you know, uh, uh, almost a side label and changing the focus to this younger character, uh, the son mm-hmm. of Cal. Which, what I'm confused about, and we've already joked about this some <laughs> on the pre show, um, I don't read a lot of DC, but one of the series that I do read, and I read every issue that it comes out, is I have this bizarre fondness for the Super Sons. And I'm pretty sure Damien's like 12, and I think John Kent may be 13, or maybe he's the younger one. I'm not sure. Um, he's definitely very, very young. I'm not sure he should be in a Superman book. Well, at a la Bendis, <laughs> Jonathan spent some time near a black hole. And now time works differently for him, and he's a lot older. So. I know what happened. Uh-oh. Flash got on the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shenanigans. 
call shenanigans anyway. Is this, are they still going to keep publishing Super Sons anyway? Going to be as, a twelve-year-old John Kent and far as I know, well, they are right now. They've got the <laughs> Adventures of the Super Sons that he's still young, and then they've got him over in Legion of Superheroes also as this, you know, eighteen-year-old top eighteen, nineteen-looking guy. Well, so. now is this part of the fifty-two where there's the different universes like per comic? Is this a different universe than the than the other one where there is you know a, a another Jonathan Kent younger that's you know came of age now? Right. As far as I know, this is all part of the the new Infinite Frontier, and okay. that's something the new kind of thing with DC. So we're not in the fifty two anymore. We're not in the multiple nope. worlds. Okay. Nope. So now we're in the infinite. <laughs> Yes, it's an infinite frontier where everybody ages slowly, according to a book I just read. Except for Jonathan Kidd. Except for Jonathan Kidd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gentlemen, let's leave the infinite frontier for the final frontier. Sam, what do you have to say for us uh, on this final frontier news? All right. I always try to bring a little bit of trek to the news. A couple of things just really quick. Um, We have gotten word that Kate Mulgrew is returning to voice um, Janeway, Captain Janeway. But this time it's an AI training version of Janeway uh, for a show called Star Trek Prodigy. It's going to be a little more kid-friendly as far as animated and stuff like that. So uh, this should be pretty interesting. If you're a Voyager fan and liked Kate Mulgrew and, and Captain Janeway, that might be up for you. Um, I'm but only going to be I'm only going to be down for this if Rishley Crusher is in charge of Starfleet. <laughs> we could only hope. That's a pretty small audience, guys. Fans, people are fans of Voyager and Wesley Crusher. <laughs> That's a pretty small group. <laughs> Well, Crusher was a TNG, and we do have it also a big TNG return. Uh, Michael Dorn tweeted out uh, he had been summoned back into action by Starfleet. So we're getting word that he is bringing Worf back, uh, possibly for a uh, video game, the iOS Star Trek Legends video game. So I'm up for that. Worf on. (laughs) Make it so. <laughs> well, I know Star Trek can't do a movie without having some time travel uh, things happen, but you know, somebody who is really famous for looking into the future is our f- Professor Trelawney of Hogwarts. We'll bring some Hogwarts into our new show with our Trelawney time segment. Last week we were talking about a movie. This week we need to pay up on that and see how our predictions landed. So let's get our crystal balls and see what happens in Trelawney time. All righty. Well, last week we talked about Mortal Kombat. HBO Max. Beloved Uh-oh. video Get game series. Uh-oh. Beloved video game series. Uh, kind of hit and miss with the movies. 
last week, Jamie predicted a Rotten Tomatoes score of 47%. Sam was very optimistic with 82%. I tried to land right in the middle at 52. The, the tomato meter lands at 54 percent oh so right there in the middle i was i was two points off uh, jamie you were closer than you have been so i was gonna say i'll call that a win for me there's still hope. i'm not calling that a win for 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 jamie now sam <laughs> you you're you're way off however however on rotten tomatoes you also have another meter you don't only have the critics you have an audience meter now the audience meter for mortal Kombat. 2021 on HBO Max is 87%. (laughs) So this movie, Jamie, I'm calling big dumb fun. Yep. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, make that prediction uh, as a big dumb fun. If if the audience is given at 87%, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, so it, it kind of looked like that on the the trailer. Like, you know, that looks like a big dumb fun, like, like a, kind of a thrill ride to go on. Yeah. Which is why I was very specific last week. I said I was just going with the critics. I didn't think it was going to be a critic. <laughs> well, I know Sam said that we only went with the critics for his score. <laughs> 87% versus 54. That's, that, that's unbelievable to me. That's just... <laughs> purely what our culture is continuum each side but as movies continue to come out as things continue to happen in the theater on streaming on our devices guy Ritchie and jason statham are at it again they're making another movie made another kind of a hosty kind of a deal jamie brought this last week and it looked like a ton of fun. So, guys, who wants to lead off with our score? All right, well, I'll, I'll go first because I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't feel like I needed to. <laughs> Guy Ritchie <laughs> making a British mobster movie with Jason Statham. <laughs> We've seen that. I know how this is going to go. So, <laughs> uh, I'm going 72%. Uh, I think this is going to score a little bit higher. And I, and I do think it's going to have a little bit more of a auteur vibe to it. Not a lot, but a little bit more of an auteur vibe to it than Mortal Kombat. So I'll make some critics. <laughs> yeah, 72% for Jamie. Well, I'm going 67% um, after watching the trailer. I did I did go and watch the trailer. There's nothing, no mention of Rotten Tomatoes in there, but uh, 67% is my prediction. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of play, uh, play Dwayne here and kind of cut the middle. I'm going 70%. Oh, it's going to be a tight one. So right in the middle, because, I mean, Jason Statham looks like a total bad butt in this. You've got Guy Ritchie, so you know it's going to look amazing. There may be some weird story elements, but it's going to look amazing. You may not be able to understand half the accents, but it's going to look great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is true. This is true. Okay, so as we travel into next week for Wrath of Man, 67% for myself, 72% from Jamie, and 70 from Sam. This all doesn't right. bode well. When I'm the optimistic one, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, all, we all know how your Rotten Tomatoes land. So uh, 
we, we know that. But gentlemen, I hear the call. I hear the call to action. I hear the call to a quest. We know Wesley Crusher was the president in Ready Player One. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. This week, we're reviewing Sam's pick of all the President's Men, starring 1976, starring Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. Guys? All right. So, as Dwayne said, so this was my pick, right? And back when we did our New Year's discussion, I'd said this was a movie that I had never seen. And I've always heard among a lot of people, it's regarded on those lists of kind of classic pieces of cinema, you know, reflecting some form of history. So it fits into different kind of niches as far as your your, your moviegoers. Um, So this was a first time watch for me. Um, You know, Robert Redford, I mean, just who was cooler than than Redford in the 70s? I mean, come on. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Best seventies hair in the world, right, Jamie? We discussed this, uh, but um, you know, and then much you got J- over here. Yes, completely. And then you got Jason Robards and Hal Holbrook. Even I mean, come on. So grade, I'm going to go A on this, and maybe just be a first watch deal. But I'm going A. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to go substantially lower, but not, not bad. Like I still had a good time with it. This is a B minus. Um, it's a good flick. Um, I'm glad I watched it, and maybe it's some of those expectations not being met that kind of, you know, lowered the grade. Um, I was expecting like real, a really artistic movie, in, like interestingly directed, um, you know, more of like a like a thriller type vibe to it, and I didn't get any of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought I thought it was actually kind of boringly directed. Um, I didn't think there was anything creative about the way the movie was shot. Um, and there are some really annoying flaws that I, I, I still I enjoyed Redford and Dustin Hoffman enough that, that they got it up to a B itself. So, um, but yeah, there's there's flaws here. Mm. Yeah, this isn't a perfect movie, and uh, you know the performances though are great. Uh, Hoffman and Redford are you know showing their powerhouse status as Hollywood leading men uh, in very different ways. In this movie, mm-hmm. um, this movie was actually listed as a when, where I watched it was a is listed as docu series, so uh, not quite a you know full blown movie listed kind of as a docu series. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it takes the Watergate scandal as it's happening and being unfolded by the reporters Woodman and Bernstein of the Washington Post, and how nobody was giving it any credence, you know, nationally until it really really broke. But they were getting all of this stack, they were getting all of this pushback, they were getting all of these little subterfuges from the FBI, the CIA, um, you know, the Department of Finance was just was just happening. I love historical movies. I love historical movies where I can learn something. I knew Watergate was a thing. I knew Nixon was not a crook. I had no idea what it was all about. I know it had something to do with the Democratic National Convention, but I had no idea truly what it was about. And this movie really 
enlightened me as to how that affected and what it was what was really going on there. Um, my notes um, here it's you know the suspense, education, suspense. It's political. There's suspense. You know, there's history here and some suspense. Uh, I loved it. I loved this kind of a slow burn intense movie and you know, it had its low points it had its high points and i'll get into that with my f- fans and pans but I- i'm giving this an a plus all right interesting okay cool. i like it okay so right. sam would you like well, to lead us out with fan sure not a problem at all you know what i think i really enjoyed about this is you know with the whole spy espionage angle, really, this is a political drama, you know, but what's really interesting, what I think is kind of interesting is, you know, the Watergate scandal itself sounds like an amazing piece of espionage fiction, if it wasn't for the fact it was an actual event, you know, <laughs> and, but I just, I like the way that we really see how Woodward and Bernstein, or we could just say Woodstein, uh, really worked the story. Woodward says that a few times, yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he called him Woodstein. Um, but really worked the story. And I thought that was really cool to see that journalism angle. It wasn't just about the political and the espionage. We got that look at what journalists do to really dig and find and get to the heart of these some of these stories. Um, and I thought that was really neat. Uh, there were some points when we had a little bit of, of that tension. Uh, there are scenes that, that you get that, that kind of feel. Uh, the music, I think, really helped with that. Mm-hmm. But, but I just I love the journalism angle. I thought that was a neat way to approach a story. Yeah, I like how he was forcing them to, uh, you know, let confirm and reconfirm, triple confirm, you know, their, their sources and the stories. You know, I'm not going to publish this unless you've got, you know, too deep saying this is legit. You know, I'm not going to publish this unless you can tell me, you know, and you have the revelation of deep throat. You have the revelation of, you know, the different workers in there and, you know, well, hang up if I'm right, you know, stand on the line if I'm wrong, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it was really neat. I think they lead into that a little too much, though. Because I felt like after I, this movie ended, I'm like, well, this is a movie about you know two reporters. This wasn't a movie about Watergate. Because mm-hmm. it felt like wh- whatever whatever they're investigating was secondary to what how cool these reporters were and how cool their investigation was. It felt like you know Watergate was just tangential to the actual mm-hmm. plot of the movie. And I, I, I would have liked more focus on Watergate and what they were actually investigating and maybe seen more of the players. But um, I still give it a B minus. I'm not I'm not mad about Dang. it. Um, <laughs> Uh, my my fans real simple. Um, this cast was awesome, um, all of them, uh, not and not just Redford and, and Hoffman, um, although they they completely stole the show. I mean, they were great. I mean, I, I like the sort of you know neurotic type player uh, that Hoffman was doing, and the more you know cool. I mean, he's probably too cool to actually be a reporter. <laughs> I, I don't, I've never met a reporter as cool as Robert Redford. But I mean, that, they but they were great. Like, he, but it was the the editor, the guy that played. Uh, I'm blanking on the actual editor's name, uh, Ben Bradley. Um, he was awesome. I forget that actor's name. He was it's awesome. Uh, I forget. Um, I think so. Yeah. And then Deep Throat was it's great. But it but it was even like it was maybe was so well cast. Like even the people who barely showed up, like the like the 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 lady who had dated somebody who worked for the committee or, you know, like, and she was great and then the 
the lady they manipulated in the office to go talk to her ex that she had broken up with and destroyed him. Like, her saying where she got emotional there and she clearly didn't want to do what they were asking her to do. Even these small little roles, everybody was spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, the cast blew me away. I mean, I, I didn't love a lot of this movie. I, I liked all of it. I didn't love much of it. But the cast, I mean, this casting director in this movie nailed every single even the people like the lady's house that does went into and just refused to leave <laughs> she looked yeah. great i mean she her sister awesome. keeps offering him coffee <laughs> <laughs> well and, and honestly i mean he, he, yeah the casting's perfect and and redford and hoffman work so well off each other Mm-hmm. They play so well off each other, even when they're getting on each other's nerves. And Redford was like, is there nowhere you won't smoke? You know, those types of things. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't have predicted that before I saw it. I would have thought, you know, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford, perfect. They're perfect together. I would have thought that, but they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were. Yeah, they were truly, truly great together. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, the look at how the, the paper, you know, made everything happen and how deep they had to go and how. You know, every story was not confirmed, confirmed, and, and, and you know, and then they would speak to someone, and five minutes later they would call back, so I'll rescind my statement and things. You know, those, those stakes as things escalate throughout, and then you start, and then deep throat says, you know, your lives are in danger. You know, just just comes out, and you know, the the chasing of the cab, um, almost like the, the people trailing them, and you know, they'll they'll see you, they'll see you, they'll see you, they'll see you but you never see. You never see that threat, which can really pay off sometimes. But I, I love that that level of suspense that they. I, I feel that they maintained it pretty well through the movie. Myself, I, I felt that that was that's my fan is is that level of stakes and suspense that they maintained. And, and I, it made I, you, I thought it worked for me. And it made you wonder later in the movie, like, is that real or is paranoia kicking in? Have they went so far right, down the right, rabbit hole? Right, yeah. because, you know, you think, and, and it's like I said, you know, 47% of the, of the country has never even heard the word Watergate. You know, they're, they're talking at different times. You know, nobody's even heard of this thing. And then, you know, they, they these people are just going, they'll see you, they'll see you, they'll see you. And then you see them just, just going deeper and deeper into the paranoia hole, you know. How, how far do you trust Deep Throat? Who is this? You know, what's, what's that deal? Uh, it's really, really interesting to me. And it felt like it was intentional. Like, like Deep Threat was trying to make him paranoid. Like, did you change cabs? Like, change cabs? The man owns a car. You're lucky he took a cab. Like, well, right. he's changing cabs. Right, right. Yeah, it was very, 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 I thought that was very interesting there. But, you know, I, I, one of the things that's really telling, you know, Sam had mentioned the coffee, or I mean the smoking earlier on. But, you know, Hoffman, how many cups of coffee did he drink throughout <laughs> this movie? He was pounding it down. I really hope he washed that pot. And that was my segue, and we're back with pants. Okay. <laughs> but, but to finish your thought from earlier for just a second, I think Hoffman shortened his lifespan making this movie with Make- all that coffee and all, all that smoking. Yeah. yeah that was not a healthy shoot for him. I think it was the seventies, so I don't think it was the fake cigarettes that they used today. Probably. Oh, no. yeah. I'm, sure. I'm sure not. So So going going into my pan and this will probably kind of lean into a little bit about what Jamie was talking. Cause I mean, I gave it an A, but I can see where Jamie's coming from. The pace of the movie does drag in certain spots. Um, You know, there are no large action pieces or suspense moments 
you know, all of the tension is really created by the actors themselves. Uh, there, there's nothing else really there. You know, we never see who's following them. We never see anything. It's, it's just their reactions to that, that tension and stress, you know, so, I mean, that's a big part of this, you know, and, and some people that's really not their, their bag, you know, and I can see why, you know, even at points I was like pausing just for a second to go, okay, what's going on? Okay. Then I'll, I'll start again. <laughs> you know, just to kind of take, take a moment because you would have these long stretches of plot where nothing major was really happening, but they had to be giving you something or they wouldn't have left all this in and been on the cutting room floor. You know, kind of deal. So I found myself pausing off and just to kind of kind of take stock of what I was seeing and how it affected the overall plot. Yeah, and and it was sometimes it was hard to follow because like things they would discover like were things that were referencing things that happened like forty five minutes earlier, Mm. and and that they hadn't been able to follow up on in between. It was like, okay, now how does this person relate to this thing? There were times I was like, I was scratch. I had to stop and think. Okay, now where does this come from? You know, kind of deal. And so I, I had a couple moments like that. Um, my pan is easy. I don't have to think twice about what to do in this section, and it's why this thing is a B plus, a B minus, and not in the A range. When this movie ended, I was furious because I feel like I watched Act One of the movie. Like we didn't get to Act Two and Three. It's like, you know, they do all this investigation. They basically start the investigation. And as, the, as they stop showing characters, they basically say, like, now we're ready to break into high gear. We could really break, get all these guys. We know who did what. And then it stops, and we just get it typed out on an ancient typewriter. They tell us what happened. Like, that's the interesting bit. That's what all the fireworks are. You don't want to show us that? And then they don't show us a thing that happens the actual trial. Nothing happens the actual Watergate, you know, big explosions where the president resigns. I'm like, you just showed me what should have been the first 30 minutes of this movie. <laughs> yeah, so when, when it got to that, and, like, and they give us like all the fireworks were topped out on that typewriter, I was just, <laughs> I was furious. Like, the exciting bit is on a typewriter. That's crazy. I was so mad. And it was even tough to read sometimes because of the, the top of the, the top of the uh, the ribbon, you know, yeah. was, was right there. It was it was yeah. kind of tough to read sometimes. I noticed that too. I was like, what? But you know, Jamie, my my pen is exactly <laughs> exactly along with yours. You know, I, I talked a, a lot about suspense. I talked a lot about the buildup. Oh, their lives are in danger. Something's going to happen. Somebody's falling. Their, their people are going to see them. But nothing ever happens. You know. <laughs> You know, nothing ever happens. There's no death threats. There's no calls. There's no, you know, the horse hit in the bed. There's no anything at all that really is of consequence. And the the payoff is, you know, writ, you know, top down on a typewriter, right out there. <laughs> was uh, so bad. Not not quite. You know, the payoff you would want for a buildup of this level. You know, I, I, the suspense to me, I thought was done perfectly. You know, they'll see you. They'll see, you know, okay, who's going to see me? Let's go inside. You know, oh, you're bugged. Your room's bugged. Let's turn up the classical movie, the classical music, and type out what we're going to type on the typewriter. You know, but nothing ever comes of it. And, you know, even like you said, even the trial, the arrests, the things, it's, you know, the biggest action is at the movie when they're breaking in. You know, is at the beginning of the movie when they're breaking into Watergate. You know, I was looking for Tom Hanks across the way calling. There's flashlights in the room across the way keeping me up. You know, 
I know that's how it was happening. I know that's how they started the investigation. Yep. Tom yep. Hanks called. But before I watched this movie, in, in my mind, the most, the most angry I've been at a movie was The International. Because I loved that movie. I was all in, and I got to the end, and then like Clive Owen makes the decision he makes at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil it. And I was angry. I'm like, nope, you don't, you don't, you don't get to give me the first two hours of this and then do that. I was even more angry at all the president's men <laughs> at this cop-out, lame, let's just stop before it gets good ending. I was straight up angry. <laughs> well, every time I kept saying Nixon, I was trying to like figure out where Dr. Manhattan was. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. I, I, I liked what they gave me. I mean, it's not a it's not a bad ride. It's a little slow pace, which is the seventies. It's fine, mm-hmm. but I, they stopped like a third of through a third of what should what should have been the, a third of the story. I I don't understand how that decision was made. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, you're probably made. right. Right before the right before the mid peak, you know, of the the of yeah. the. Um, Incident there happened. Well, in, in writing terms, there's this thing you're supposed to do at the end of the first act where you have the inciting incident, or somewhere somewhere in that first act you have the inciting incident. The inciting incident happened this movie at the two hours seventeen minute mark, and then it ends at two That's, hours eighteen minutes. Yeah, well, what, yeah it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so so guys, next week we're planning on bringing back a kind of award segment, but in lieu of that, this week I want to ask us all three of us a question. I want us all to answer. What was the most 70s thing that happened in this movie? The thing that most made you certain this movie was set in the early 1970s. What was it for you guys? All the smoking. Yeah, that to me, that would be it also. I mean, because that's just something you don't see anymore. Uh, I think Mad Men was the last like television show, and I never really watched a whole lot of it, but but that that was constantly showing that yeah you know two two things to me really really brought this movie uh, into the era that it is the 70s and one was the smoking everybody's smoking everywhere you know there's no limit (laughs) even if you're a non-smoker there's an ashtray in your house you know i was about hoffman didn't have one on each hand (laughs) right 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 um the other thing was you know, and and I know we're in a completely different era, but the other thing was the treatment of women. You know, the the way that they relegated the women to, oh, you're useful because you dated this person, you went out with this person, you know this person from this relationship or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and granted, in that era, women probably weren't in a lot of positions of power, uh, as as you know, affirmative actions and and rights movements have progressed you know, from what we had then, but it, it really was telling to look at that and see that stark contrast there to, to me. That was, that was the two things that really stood out. I was like, Oh wow. There's these guys are just kind of, you know, is everybody sexist in the seventies? <laughs> <laughs> is everybody just crude to women? It was probably accurate, but accurately bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 Probably so. Uh, what, what did it for me was some of the technology, like the typewriters. Yeah. And, and Loved I don't, it. Love yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, but it was clearly this happened a long time ago. But another one that made me laugh every time I saw them because I haven't seen one in forever were the corded phones, and yes. they had those like the, the 20, dial. Some of, 
Yeah, the dial, like a 20-foot-long cord so you can walk around your house with a corded phone. Yeah. That, I, I, I kind of smiled and chuckled every time I saw one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was a good sight. That was a yes. good sight. Yeah, well, awesome. even the the dial, you know, to dial it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it really just that all that stuff, and the, and the crazy lapels on the shirts and jackets. Oh, yeah. I mean, it may it clearly, like, clearly, this was it, they nailed the era because it was you know, they were in the era, but like it it kind of transported uh, me as a viewer back back to the end. It made me really. Yeah, this yeah, is only what, two to two to three years removed from the Watergate incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, gentlemen, uh, if you haven't seen that movie, I would I would highly recommend it. I th- I thought it was great. Uh, my other co-host to comply seem- seemingly, but just be aware, nothing really happens. <laughs> but next week, oh, do we have a doozy? Do we have a doozy? We have a heist movie. We have a hillbilly heist movie. We have a hillbilly heist movie on a racetrack with Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, and Daniel Craig. <laughs> Along with Katie Holmes. Logan Lucky. This is a hidden gem, I feel. Um, we, we looked around. It is streaming on Hulu and Kadoodle, if you have those subscriptions, it won't cost you anything extra. I, that's what that's what the Roku TV. I, I haven't even either, but that's what the Roku <laughs> TV told me. So I'm taking its word for it. And I love the search feature. But yes, on uh, on Hulu and Kadoodle, if you pay for those uh, streaming services, it will be uh, available to you. Anywhere else, it's going to be a three ninety nine rental that I saw pretty much across the board. Vudu, Amazon, and Apple. TV, so go and check out Logan Lucky, uh, and join us next week for our review of Logan Lucky. And and as we prepare for this heist, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to enjoy another one of Daniel Craig's terrible, terrible accents as we keep it nerdy. <laughs>